Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. So a lot of people want to ask me about my breastfeeding journey, and that is something that I have felt very fortunate to be able to do with my son and something that is absolutely needed if you're pumping or breastfeeding is getting hydrated. Stay hydrated. (laughs) Yes, making sure that you have water and I am constantly like if I'm upstairs, I'm calling Dom and like, oh my gosh, I forgot my water bottle downstairs. Lactation (laughs) consultant and midwife both said make sure she has a water bottle at her side at all times. (laughs) Yes. And so if I need it refilled, I'm like, hey, can you fill it up and put an element packet in it? Always element. And element is this electrolyte mix that Jen and I absolutely love. It keeps me hydrated. It literally keeps me going back to the bottle to the point where I pick it up. It's empty. I'm like, oh, got to refill. Yeah. And I'm just always on the bottle because not only does it taste amazing, but it has the electrolytes in it that we're naturally losing throughout the day without even knowing it. I, I can't even drink water plain anymore. And I told this to Dom the other day, it just especially when I'm at home, obviously, if I'm out and about, whatever. But when I'm at home and I'm hydrating and I'm drinking out of my huge mug, like I need element in it. And I just want to say for those who think like it's over the top or it's it's a lot, if you haven't had any electrolyte, it could feel like a lot. If you have a big, tall glass or maybe even start with half a pack, that's fine. Like that is going to at least start your journey to getting enough electrolytes in throughout your day. And you're going to see how much better you feel. I don't drink coffee anymore. Like I only do element. And trust me, the majority of the population is deficient in things like magnesium and potassium, which is two of the minerals that are in um, element. And like Jen said, we mix one packet into like 40 ounces of water because that's how big our water bottles are. And it still tastes amazing. The flavor doesn't get diluted that much. So if you're interested in trying this out, go down to the link in the show notes. You can get your first order of Element. And with every single order, you get a free sample pack, which is incredible because then you get to try all the different flavors. They have some cool ones. They have some cool ones like chili type flavors or a chocolate salt. Jen loves making Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate water, essentially. And and it tastes incredible. They actually have a chocolate medley pack that you can buy that has um, chocolate mint, chocolate caramel, and chocolate salt. And they are all incredible for a nice hot cup of cocoa, like late at night or early in the morning. So head down to the link in the show notes. You can grab your first order and get a free sample pack with every single order you make. Up next on the podcast, so honored to have professional women's soccer player Paige Nielsen. She's a proud University of North Carolina alum, and she was part of the best soccer legacies of all time, women's soccer at UNC, and added an NCAA national championship to her belt in 2012. She was one of the first ever Nebraskan selected in the NWSL draft in 2016. She played for Washington Spirit for three years, and she went on to win the 2021 National Women's Soccer League Championship. And Paige was selected as Player of the Year by players themselves because of her consistently outstanding performance on the field. In 2022, she got traded to Angel City FC 
the first pro soccer women's team in LA and has traveled and played soccer globally. She has learned to be fearless, adaptable, and about her power of communication. She hopes to leverage her experiences to continue to grow and maintain relevancy of demographics, diversity, and technology in sports and entertainment. Such a great episode. We talk through a huge injury and setback that she had right when she came into Angel City in 2022 earlier this year. And she's going to highlight that whole entire journey. So get ready, a lot to learn and hear from in this episode. Paige, thank you so much for being on because you're a professional athlete. So to grace us with your presence here. Big time. (laughs) We just really appreciate because I know you've had quite a journey this year and, you know, going and switching onto a new team and getting a major injury and then the mental aspect and the toll physically that that takes to come back as well and finish out the season the way you did. It's just massive. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited to talk through some of it. Thank you for having me. I'm super stoked. And I'm actually the one that should be honored to be on here. You guys are awesome. (laughs) No, I think it's been so cool, especially just like I mean, your career actually brought you out to Los Angeles. And so it's been really cool kind of having you join in as a part of um, our community out here and getting (laughs) to know you a lot better. But I really just want to dive in on being a professional athlete and performing at that level. Because of course, there's a physical aspect to it. You have to perform physically on the field. You have to always be at the top of your game because you're competing against some of the best people in the world at what you do. But I know that there's also a huge mental aspect to that and what it takes to constantly, you know, kind of have the resilience and grit to compete at uh, in that space. So what would you say are some of the most challenging things about being able to keep at the top of your game, uh, literally since you've started playing the sport? <laughs> yeah, uh, there are a lot of challenging things and it's so interesting uh being, I, I guess, an older player in the league now, I, I witness and I see younger players go through the same exact things that I went through. And it's always like questioning your ability and questioning if you're good enough to be somewhere. Um, you see that with a lot of athletes that are like starters in leagues and, and they never know if they're good enough and, until that one game where you're like, okay, I can be here. And it took me four years playing overseas um, away from all the noise, all the, the politics, all everyone watching you and cheering you on, all the pressure, I really found I really found peace in, in why I was playing and, and who I was playing for. You know, I used to I used to play to make my, my parents proud and um, after my mom passed, I was like, holy crap, like, why am I playing? Um, am I good enough? I'd, I really had to find this um, self-belief and understand that I was in this process and in this journey that I'm, I may not always succeed, but I, I, I had to have a lot of faith in, in my goals and where I was going. And um, I think one of the biggest part of being successful in a journey is having mentors around you. And I've, I've kept a lot of those mentors close, you know, Anson Dorrance from UNC, he's, he's one of the most legendary coaches, but he was also like a father figure to me. And he helped me through this entire journey and, and always believed in me and, and knew that I could be an amazing player. And 
even though external validation can be like thought as a negative thing, it really, I guess, opens up this glass ceiling that you have for yourself where other people see uh, things inside of you that you might not see yourself. And it gives you actually this like higher ceiling. And um, so mentorship is super important in my journey. And I, I hope to do that with other people's journey. Um, you know, I was a walk-on at UNC. I, my, my mom believed in me and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, but she was like, you can. So I, I did it. And then I became a captain by my senior year, was going to mm. take a job in New York. And I actually got drafted to Seattle and, <laughs> and I didn't think I was good enough, but that was kind of the start to my journey. Um, but I had so many roller coasters. I got waved after I got signed and mm -hmm. I had to take my, my talents elsewhere and really learn who I wanted to be as a player and um, my inefficient inefficiencies of the game. I was a weaker passer and now I'm one of the strongest passers in the league because I was like, I'm going to be excellent at this. And I was overseas. I had no pressure, you know, but yeah, I, uh, I've always been super competitive and I've always wanted to learn. So I put myself in situations that are really big challenges. I guess I call it like being a, a small fish. Oh, being a small fish in a big pond. You know, mm -hmm. people are like, is that always the best? Do you want to be a big fish in a small pond? So, so you have recognition. So you're the best player on the team. I always put myself in a position where I wasn't in my younger years, but I learned a lot from from amazing players that stood next to me and i was on one of the best teams when i got drafted at 21 to seattle had the best players in the world around me and i did not deserve to be on the field with them but i had that opportunity and i took every opportunity that was given to me and i think these younger players just need to enjoy the process and understand that every day is a day to get better and i still have challenges now i'm, I'm 29 i'm supposed to be a leader of of a team angel city and sometimes i you know everyone has imposter syndrome but oh, yeah. it's uh yeah it's it's you fight through that and you have to really understand that you're there for a reason and everything you've been through the past will take you further in the future and yeah it's made me a successful soccer player today well, and I think that's where that external, you know, call it validation, but external support, having other people around you to be able to, you know, show you what's possible where you might not see it yourself. I don't think that's a bad thing, you know, having that support to fall back on and remind you of where you can't like what's possible. I mean, I remember even, you know, not as a professional athlete, but just in in work and having people say, oh, I could see you writing a book or I see you on this and that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. and so having that, whether it's sports or life, like having people see the potential in you and be able to support you, I think that's a huge driver and where you do find mentors as a part of your journey and why they become so incredibly important. Then you did get drafted, you know, to, to come to LA and then you got, you know, this, <laughs> this huge injury. Can we talk about that? Like what happened? Yeah. So backtrack like two weeks before I get married in January, I go to my honeymoon. Um, I come back from my honeymoon the day after I grab all my stuff, 
from DC and I moved to LA. Super stoked for the season. I'm I'm fitter than ever. I did so much work in the off season. I come back to LA. I do all the physicals, passed all the physicals with flying colors. And then the next day was the first um, practice in preseason. And before the training, the day before, I went on a jog and I was like, um, my, my arm feels a little heavy. I think it's from the flights. Like I'm going to flush out all these toxins or whatever, <laughs> whatever I had. And uh, it was kind of big or swollen, but I was like, uh, I must have, have had a muscle strain or something. So I go to sleep, go to practice the next day, and it was kind of swollen. It, it was my left arm. And I go to my medical team, and they put me through some tests, and they're like, you should be fine. You passed all the tests. <laughs> and after training and during training, my arm blew up. It mm. was like... It was huge. It was purple. I started not to be able to feel my fingers and I was making jokes like I have a Hulk arm. You guys better watch out. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah, um, two of my teammates actually were like, that's really not right. Like you need to go see someone. So I go to my athletic trainer and she goes, yeah, uh, I think we need to we need to go to the hospital. And, um, at that point I was like, oh, it's nothing. And I went to get a scan. They actually found nothing at first, but the doctor saw a picture of my arm and was like, you have a blood clot. Um, you need to go to the ER right away and blow that out because of the fears of it breaking off and you can die from blood clots. And so that was my first day of preseason in a new brand new city. I didn't know any of my teammates. I knew some of them across the grapevine. Didn't know any of my coaches. Thank God I have my sister here in LA, but yeah, first day of preseason. (laughs) That's crazy. And I mean, just not the ideal way to feel like, (laughs) you know, you're, you're showing up for this new team and you have all this excitement and then to have this happen day one. I, I mean, you know, we talk, I know you like to talk about mindset a lot and how, you know, the emotional health and mental health um, of a player can can really impact the physical performance. And so, what was the process like after this? To because I know you went through surgery um, to help one clear the blood clot, but then also create more space for the the blood to get in and out of that arm. Because I, I believe it was Paget Schroeder syndrome that you ended up. Um, they ended up kind of diagnosing you with, which Let's talk about that. Yeah, what exactly is that? Uh, why can it be dangerous? And then, I mean, just the recovery process after that. Yeah, um, they didn't know it was Paget Schroeder right off the bat, so I went into the ER that day, and they blew the blood clot out. Um, they and then I had to go see a bunch of doctors. I had to see a hematologist, um, a vein specific doctor. And they put me on blood thinners because your blood has to like slowly return to your arm. And um, I was like, I think I'm going to be good. They blew it out. I'm going to come back. And like, so this whole time I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. And then I started researching on podcasts, talking to my doctors and they're like, listen, uh, you have Paget Schroeder syndrome. It happens though. Why it was so rare is that, it happens in young, healthy males in early 30s, all up, upper extremity athletes. It's usually baseball players, swimmers, weightlifters, 
definitely not soccer players and mm-hmm. definitely not women. Um, after the fact, a lot of women came to me and said that they got it. So maybe I just didn't know about it. But, um, yeah. and there were like 95% of the people have to get this surgery in order for it not to reoccur. And the surgery was involving re- removing my first rib, um, removing two um, scaling muscles, one that helps stabilizes the neck, one that helps stabilizes the shoulder, and then possible having a vein graft because they didn't know how damaged my vein was until they went in there and, and took out the blood clot. And they're like, we're going to schedule it for March 2nd. And this was about three to four weeks after I got um, the, this was, yeah, three to four weeks after I got the blood clot removed because I needed healthy blood flow back into my arm. And I was like really upset about that. I just didn't know. I was like, can't we do it sooner because I want to get back to the field sooner. And I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be a huge deal until the day of the surgery. (laughs) Um, And after the surgery, it was the most pain I've ever been in, in my life. You know, I've broken a leg, I've gotten other surgeries and I was like, this is going to be a piece of cake. And I kid you not, I couldn't breathe without crying. And Mm -hmm. I started sneezing. I started coughing and I thought my my chest was going to explode. I had a chest tube and they didn't tell me until after, but they had to remove or they had to remove 98% of a block blockage from my vein. So it was almost all the way blocked and my body actually made other vein pathways to get the blood flow through for a lot of my life. So this has been happening since I was 12 years old and it was cool to see my arm in, in the scans. Cause it's like a car crash, right? You, and then cars have to make other lanes to get through car crashes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very painful and they were like, you know, it was very serious. You definitely could have died and you came to us at the right time i was in the the hands of some of the best doctors at cedar sinai and um yeah it was a crazy experience yeah i mean that's so that's so wild like just to be able to hear those kind of words i think from doctors too knowing that you could have died or you know this blood clot saved your life or finding it you know it's it's those kinds of things are so incredibly scary as well so not only were you expecting something to be so little and and recover and just be able to move on and and go train again? But then to hear these really extreme things, you know, that just adds a whole nother mental aspect. And then having that seven hour surgery and then realizing recovery is going to be a lot different than you anticipated because now it hurts even to breathe. Like, where do you go from there? How did you go from okay, here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to be. Now what? Like what, what was that process coming out mentally from that? Honestly, that was one of the hardest parts of it. Um, and I'm so thankful for my PT, Jocelyn. She was amazing through the whole process. And I think what makes these processes better is to have amazing doctors around you or, and amazing PTs. Um, 
as your physical therapist, but also as your mental therapist. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. think people know that about the physical therapy part, but they definitely support in, in emotional ways too. And um, to be honest, you know, because there weren't, there wasn't a lot of research on return to play programs. And I don't know if you've talked to many athletes, but we are so single minded and we're like, here's <laughs> a goal. Here's how we get here. What yeah. are the steps? And just like training, just like practice, you know, here's the game, here are the steps. There weren't clear steps in my return to play protocols. And they were like, it could be 12 months. It could be four months, depending on how you react to this. And it was like really, really hard for me because I wanted to get back and play. I was super excited. I was watching basically history of LA happen before my eyes. And I had to sit in the (laughs) sidelines and watch it, you know, the first game at the bank of the stadium while I was trying to run and get my lungs back after having a chest tube in. And um, yeah, so that was really hard for me. And we had a sold out stadium first game and the day before our first game, they played a video and I just, we were all watching it as players and I just started break. <laughs> I broke down and I started bawling. And um, not that I was like sad because I was missing it, but I was so happy for my teammates and I just wanted to be there out there with them. Mm. And um, Mm. it was, it was really hard. And what made things harder is I'm thankful for my sister to be here, but I didn't have my wife. It, It felt very isolating. You know, they still had COVID protocols in the hospitals and no one could come visit me. Um, didn't know any coaches weren't really close to my teammates. Um, they were all just watching me do all my physical therapy running. I ran a crap ton. I was, I was at our facility, what seemed like 8am to 5pm. And yeah, it was a long road. Um, but I came back quicker than ever. Um, I did things against my PT's recommendation. Uh, uh, (laughs) Classic (laughs) athlete right there. I uh, I started biking actually a week after the surgery and I was really high on drugs still. So I don't recommend it. And <laughs> it's very unsafe. And uh, I couldn't turn my neck at all still. So like, and I was biking with headphones. So like imagine a car is right next to me, but I can't see it because I couldn't turn my, I had such limited range in my left side. All my ribs were super tight. Um, you know, I was just trying to expand my lungs and, it was the only thing to keep me mentally like stable throughout this process, you know, biking in the wind, my whole life's been outdoors. And I, it was really hard for me just to sit still and wait for whatever, what was next. So I really pushed the boundaries. Um, but you know, my medical team was like, we know you're going to push the boundaries. We we've been (laughs) there and we're here to kind of scale those back. She's like, I know we won't get to where we want with you, but we're we're going to have a good balance. And I think it's a lot about communication with the, that player and um, with your medical team. You know, and I'm sure to some extent, you, like, although admittedly now you're saying probably shouldn't have done these things, you know, I was definitely pushing the boundaries, but there is a degree of like, how do you keep yourself sane when you feel like you can't do anything? And maybe some of those things like being able to go on a bike ride you know, kept you in a place emotionally where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm riding bike. I'm on my way back. I'm doing things that help me find fulfillment. And kind of like you mentioned, I, I started learning this when I went 
into physical therapy and I think the story you're you're laying out here is very relatable to just anybody out there in the public who goes through an injury or comes into physical therapy. I felt like I was constantly needing to play armchair therapist alongside <laughs> trying to do the physical therapy that I was doing because people do just need to, you know, be heard and saying like, this sucks. I can't do anything. I yeah. can't do the things that I'm used to doing in life. And that can be one of the biggest hurdles for people to getting back to full health um, and just understand like it's a process. And if you surround yourself with somebody who can hear you to just, you know, be able to voice, man, this sucks. Like, I really want to be back doing the things that I'm, that, you know, I love doing like, okay, well, we'll keep your underlying purpose burning right now. And the thing that's going to drive you to get back there, uh, we, we just have to take some steps to get there and, and you'll be back like you did end up getting back, getting on the field, playing at a really high level now, um, might I add. So how long was it that you were out for this? And are you still feeling any sort of effects um, like with your breath or anything in the arm from uh, the Paget Schroeder's or from the um, surgery and recovery. Yeah, recovery process? Yeah, so my surgery was March 2nd of this year, 2022. And my first game back where I was playing minutes was in July, the beginning of July. So it was just around four months, which is insane. A baseball player has a 24 week program. You know, it's, it's so different though. And, uh, and uh, my PT was like, typically it takes a normal person four months to recover from just doing normal activity. And, um, it was my goal, you know, I wanted to prove that I was like a bionic woman, which sometimes is stupid. <laughs> I feel like a teenager again, like invincible, right? <laughs> but honestly, those four months, yeah, I, I haven't been seriously injured before, knock on wood, but we went through some roller coasters. You know, we had new staff. The calendar was an issue. We were going through different facility changes and um and uh there were so many components of my surgery, right? I had to get neck stability. I had to open up because my, my lungs and my rib cage was so tight that there's so many twisting and turning in soccer. I had to open up that. I had to strengthen my, my, my scapular stability muscles. I had old injuries in the past that came up because I was so weak on one side that mm. I, I sprained my AC joint on my right side and my entire right back was thrown out after maybe two months of trying to train again. And then I had to go back to the drawing board and I had to take another steroid pack. And there were so there was bumps in the road and I was like, this could take forever. Um, that's at the time I was like, Oh gosh, I'll never come back. But I just kept focused. I was like, what can I do today? What can I do today? Even if it was like going on a walk and doing like small motions of my arm, I was like, I just, I need to do something. But yeah, so it, there were so many components, you know, as a soccer player, there's so many things that we need to like protect for soccer players. You need like, I needed to withstand contact in the air. I needed to fall to the ground safely. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to tackle. I needed to be able to push myself off the ground and I needed to number one, um, prevent concussions. And there's so many things with your neck, shoulders, head and soccer but the most frustrating part of this was, is that my legs were okay. So I was like, why can't I jump into the drills? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they're like, well, if you fall, you will literally tear your entire shoulder. 
And I'm like, well, we're not even doing contact today. And there's just, I guess the medical team and the PT team, it's their job to have, to have the strongest and most healthy person possible. And I was like, well, I want to be the most healthy athlete as possible. Um, I was trying to come back endurance wise and in my sports wise, but they're like, what about all these safety pieces? You, you need to pass way more tests than you're doing now for us to safely put you back in the sport. And um, I had to follow all their protocols, even though I fought a lot against them. <laughs> and now my PT and I are best friends, so we're okay. But uh, <laughs> I screamed a couple of times and we laugh about it now. <laughs> um that's that's incredible though and I think you you highlighted something so incredibly important like not not quite knowing where the end would be or feeling hopeless sometimes like it's never going to get better yet you still said what can I do today and what can I do on a on this day-to-day basis just just focusing in on today and I think that's that's so encouraging and I that needs to be highlighted even more because again, anytime we're in injury or pain or something happens, you know, it's so easy to be like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to lift again. I'm never going to be able to, you know, do this activity that I love or it's, it's easy to fall down that rabbit hole and then start not doing things. But especially as an athlete, like you have so much that you're trying to get back to. So it's okay, but what can I do today? And I I hope that people really hear that and take that in because that's massive. Like that's everything. That's how you move forward in life. That's how you start to heal and, and start to go about your journey. And then here you are four months later playing again. That's insane. And having that support around you, even though you hated it sometimes <laughs> to keep you safe so that you could get back there. Like that's that's really just so encouraging. And I think something that athletes people everyone alike you know even if you're not going through a specific injury and you're just like looking at overall health and wellness i feel like some people can get paralyzed by that just the health wellness activity journey and and looking 10 20 years down the road at things you might want to do it's just like no what what can i do today yeah if you focus on that day to day then the end result will hit you eventually (laughs) exactly that's huge yeah yeah, that helped me in my like physical recovery process and it got me back to the field. But I will say mentally, it was almost harder to come back and not feeling 100%. Yeah. But at the same time, you you're right. I I'm I'm older, I'm more experienced. I had a lot of pressure um on me to come back and perform. You know, I was playing games right off the bat and one of our players left mid-season and was hurt and and they really needed me to come back and I did feel a lot of pressure and I wasn't playing or performing at my best and that's probably the hardest as an athlete when you're sort of injured and you're coming back and Mm. it's really hard to give yourself some grace and kindness because you know where you are at when you're at 100% and all of my players haven't played with me before so I'm like god it's so frustrating like they don't know how good I am no one knows how good I am. And, and that was probably the hardest piece of it. But mm. again, um, I got a, I actually got a therapist through these times when I started playing uh, soccer again, because I was so nervous that I, I couldn't handle the pressure and, and I was letting my teammates down. And um, 
I started to give myself a little grace and kindness and kind of really focus on the positive moments and to see how far I actually came. Um, I mean, I think athletes, they're, they're their own worst critics and, um, it helps, it helps to have a little positive self-talk from a therapist. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, whether it's in therapy and having somebody who can help you, I mean, talk through some of the feelings that come up in times like this, or going back to the, the mentor aspect of it. Like, I think mentors are so incredible because great mentors give you the affirmation and um, are able to pump you up in a way that help you focus on the things you do amazing. And then are also to give you the, uh, able to help you, you know, focus on those actionables that you can do today. And okay, yeah, you want to improve this? Well, what can we do today to, to do that? Like, you're, free, you're freaking awesome, but I know that there are things that you can improve. You know that there are things you can improve. And so let's work on those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's what athletes or anyone needs. They, they need specific things and it, it makes a lot of things day by day go easier. Otherwise, you're kind of like lost in your own mind and, and you don't know where to start. So one last thing that I wanted to hit on before we, we wrap, you know, understanding this journey is only one aspect to, you know, your entire journey through professional athleticism and, and where, what you've done, where you've come. And I think you've seen a lot through the journey as well. And I know you speak a lot to activism as an athlete and as a professional women's athlete in, in sports. And can you talk about some of the things that you love to stand for and you think, you know, kind of need to be, be brought to light a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things I hate the most is when people say keep politics out of sports and it goes contrary to whatever we've ever been taught in sports. It's like, we're taught to have a voice. We're taught to stand up for what we believe in. We're taught leadership and um, we're given a platform that ma- makes us have a duty to, to speak up to, to what we think is right and um, inspire others, right? Not just, we're not just athletes, you know, we're human beings. And um, yeah. that's one thing that it, just the, the grand scope of, of fighting for, for things and using my platform. But obviously I have a wife and um, I, LGBTQIA. I've really dived into to this group because I didn't think, and because women's soccer has been amazing with um, acceptance and uh, you know, there, there are a lot of openly gay players in our league. And that's because we had people like Billie Jean King and, and Megan Rapino and Abby Wambach and, and Glennon Doyle. And we have people that, that stood up for, for us at one point of time. And I, it made it easier for me to be exactly who I am. And I, and I forgot the bubble I lived in until I started posting things with Jen and people were responding saying, they're so grateful and thankful how open I've been with our relationship. It's really made them more brave. However, some of their families still won't accept them mm-hmm. or they're really scared because um, like they know that they would be threatened to move out and, and, and not be with their family. And it would, it, it, it turns people's lives upside down sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really want for people to have people. I think that's the most important thing. And there's a lot of, I guess, 
groups or people that don't have the same opportunities as me. And this is another thing where it's it could be underprivileged kids. It could be the black community. It could be LGBTQIA. It could be trans rights, which are a decade behind gay rights um, that don't have equal opportunity as me. And we're all humans. And that really pisses me off. <laughs> um, yeah. Because basically sports were were made by men for men and kind of forgot everyone else. Mm. And so I think I think it is really important for us as women or as anyone else that finally have a little platform via social media via to to speak out and, and help those around us. That's huge. Yeah, I think that's amazing and really appreciate you, you know, being able to speak with us about some of these things on this episode and uh, honestly i think women's soccer is the per like perfect example of people starting to really use that platform to speak about the things that matter i think women's soccer has been a trailblazer of some sorts in in that aspect speaking on both you know women's advocacy in, in athletics and just in general and for the lgbtqia uh community um and I know I, I need to give a shout out to the Angel City Football Club here in Los Angeles because I know they're doing some fairly revolutionary things just in how they show the athletes appreciation. And I don't know if there's anything specific that you feel Angel City is doing um, that supports the athlete, that supports women's athletics that you think can become an example for other organizations at, at any level, really. I mean, where do I even start? We're <laughs> owned by some pretty badass women. Yeah. Um, I think they st they started this organization so incredible. You know, um, they want to uplift women in every way possible. They want to give them opportunities w during their playing career, which has never happened because we haven't gotten paid enough. And and also after their playing career, they made a huge wave of making this player 22 fund which basically helps uh female athletes after they're done with their career with anything they want to do after you know because male athletes they can invest in in things or they can they can build schools with their finances and um we don't have that luxury necessarily yet um i mean our league is still in the toddler uh phase so i don't i don't want to talk about pay but um we're definitely we're definitely growing and we're getting there and um we have amazing support around us um the way they welcome every single person into our stadium in our community they're out there every single day doing community things for all type of people under <laughs> underprivileged black white hispanic lgbtqia uh trans kids they want to make this place feel like a home away from home especially if if your home's not not the most amazing and loving place we want people to feel safe and um i can't even begin to tell on this podcast of all the things that that they're doing and um giving back to the community um i think our owner julie ehrman is <laughs> is amazing and she uh she built this league or this team based she goes number one community number two the team and um it's kind of, it's really built this entire 
support system across LA for the players and, and we support them too. And it's, it's one big family. So I, I couldn't be more grateful to be on angel city and, um, yeah, I'll be here for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And are there resources that people, you know, who do feel a little lost or don't have anyone to really talk to as they're trying to go through their own journey? Like, do you have any specific resources that you recommend or point people to? Well, they can always come to me <laughs> on my uh, social media. Um, yeah, I don't, I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know at the top of my head. I know we have like a lot of, uh, a lot of groups where people can connect with and we do a lot of events. Um, but do I know someone that they can call? Not really. For sure. And we yeah. can definitely, I mean, I know that there are different, like you said, groups that, that people who may not feel like they have the support systems um, readily available to them, whether it's, you know, because of a family they don't feel like they would be accepted by, uh, that they can reach out to and get connected in with a group that might help them navigate that. But I think, you know, even just you offering yourself up is incredible because mm -hmm. like you said, feeling like there's somebody that you can reach out to, somebody that you can message, DM, email, whatever, um, that you, that you fe can feel safe with. I, I think that that's just incredible. And again, I really appreciate you coming on here talking about your own experience, your career, injury, and also giving a little light to the advocacy that is ever so needed um, in the space of women's athletic and also for the LGBTQIA uh, plus community. So thanks so much for coming and spending some time with us and chatting about things you're passionate about. Thanks so much for sticking around for that incredible conversation with Paige, all about just the resilience and grit it takes to constantly be performing at your most optimal levels, wherever that is at for you, and also for making sure you can find that community that you feel safe and like you can be yourself with. If you've been enjoying these podcasts, please consider leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. And of course, we'll see you next time on the Optimal Body Podcast.